0: I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Man is the Rope between the Ordinary and the Extraordinary.
1: My name is Philippe Petit, and I am a high wire artist, and I put a high wire illegally between the Twin Towers on that morning of August 7, 1974. Since I was not uh, born in the world of the circus where wire walkers perform, I I discovered quite late at 14 years old that I uh, wanted to walk on a tightrope, so I learned by myself at that age and then at some point in 1968 i am 18 years old and i am uh, looking at at some uh, magazines and newspapers and i see a a photo of an architecture model of the twin towers and the article reads um, when those towers uh, will be built they will become the highest in the world so right there i draw a little line between the two rooftops uh, with a pencil and that was the beginning of my dream it was a strange dream because i knew it was impossible the more i look at those towers in in photographs in articles and when i came to new york and touched the towers and look at them from below all of those moments it was proof that my dream will never never be realized because uh, how to sneak in a building with heavy equipment and and not get caught that was the impossible part The part um, that I was supposed to walk between the towers, that part of the dream I knew I could because I had such a powerful uh, certitude that I was a great wire walker. when actually I only started (laughs) a few years earlier. At the time I did this walk, uh, August 7th, 1974, the towers were opened to the public and to the people who rented offices, but they were not yet uh, completely finished. So it allowed me to disguise myself as a worker and to sneak many, many times in my uh, uh, final preparation, and it allowed me to come with equipment to the roof and uh, do the rigging. I obviously put my high wire at the Twin Towers at the only place that it made artistic sense, which is between the two roofs. I would never have considered putting my wire anywhere else. By the way, the windows were not opening in that building, so at left that. But uh, no, for a wire worker, you have to be between two tops. That's the only place where it's magnificent. So after all those years of... Uh, dreaming and planning now finally i was consummating the moment of that first step i feel myself trying to unglue myself from the building in this forbidden uh, territory of uh, inhuman void much too high to be human i became a half bird half man full of uh, anti-gravity around me and at this height um It was much more than windy. Uh, There were turbulences. There were little uh, dances of of air uh, forming between the Twin Towers. But anyway, I knew that after walking across once, I would probably be under the charm of the abyss, and I probably would want to perform. And I did exactly that actually and this was not planned i did many uh, moves on the wire i even lay down i did half a turns i kneel um, i saluted um, and and all that dancing between the towers I was scared that that would, that would be maybe just a little private walk in the sky and that nobody would see it. What if people keep uh, going uh, out of the subway and into their office and not looking up. But uh, fortunately it became a performance from the first a group of friends looking up, and and you know, in a big city these days, uh, when two people look up, then ten people look up, and when ten people look up, the whole street look up, and then the whole city looks up. So there is this instant uh, curiosity, so I did have a big crowd, and people would scream and would applaud, and this sound would travel a quarter of a mile in the air, and reach my ears and my heart.
0: Tuesday, morning. Walking through the park on my way to work, I stop to take off my shoe and shake out a pebble. As I'm standing there with my shoe in my hand, I note I notice about a half a dozen people or so standing in a group facing a tree. I put my shoe back on and start walking towards them. As I get nearer, I see that they are staring at what appears to be a leaf suspended in midair, just floating there perfectly still. A couple people begin to pull out their cell phones and take photographs. Getting closer, I suddenly see that the leaf is actually hanging from a long, almost invisible spider web. We all stand in silence, smiling benignly, as one of, as one of the last leaves of autumn hangs frozen in midfall to the earth, and for a while, we pretend that time has miraculously stopped. In the cafeteria at work, there's a self-serve fruit salad bar. And lately, I've gotten into the habit of seeing how much fruit I can actually pack into the little containers. It's a bit like a game of Tetris. As I walk back to my desk, I imagine pitching the leaden cup against the wall and watching it explode. A Molotov fruit cocktail. Packing the fruit cup proves to be the most interesting challenge of my day. Tuesday Afternoon. Walking back to my office after lunch, I lose my thought. I'm left with no trace whatsoever of the thought's content, but I am left with the overall feeling that the thought has left behind. A certain feeling of looking forwardness. Despite having forgotten what I'm actually looking forward to, knowing that there's something out there that I had previously assessed to be worth looking forward to, is a nice enough feeling after a few seconds though I realized that what I was actually looking forward to was a piece of uneaten Melba toast I'd left over from lunch the previous day that was now in my desk drawer back in my office I eat the Melba toast and the sadness I feel for having been looking forward to the Melba toast overwhelms the happiness I feel while eating the Melba toast overall I am left feeling pretty even I try to enjoy this feeling of equilibrium for the next little while, knowing that very soon I will tip over into something less pleasant. Tuesday. Night. We all meet over at Tucker's house for stout beer, scotch, and pizza. We planned this for quite some time, referring to the night in the previous week's group emails as an evening of manarchy. The six men participating show up at his apartment at nine and begin drinking. We hunch over pizza takeout menus and study them in silence. We rub our chins like Talmud scholars, finally settling on the least Talmudic of pizzas. Sausage. Afterwards, for dessert, Josh excitedly tells us that he's brought us all something special. It just came out on the market, he says, pulling something out of a rumpled paper bag. A bacon chocolate bar, I ask. These are very exciting times, he says. I ask him why someone would feel it necessary to invent such a thing. And he pauses for a moment. It's how you get the kids to eat their bacon, he says. You're a regular Jessica Seinfeld, I say. Look, I agree agree. it's a bold move, he says. Risky, even. We all try a piece and agree too bacony sadly not all risks pay off wednesday morning i walk into my office and the garbage can is empty the janitor has emptied it a day early it's a small thing but it's still a break from the routine and these days i'll take what i can get I am reminded of the day in grade 3 when Eddie Kaplan showed up to the lunchroom with a sandwich made of green bread. Eddie's mother was different from the other mothers, into meditating and yoga, and she dyed his bread with green food coloring. It wasn't St. Patrick's Day or anything. She just wanted to remind Eddie and everyone else at the cafeteria table that when you unexpectedly break from the routine, you are reawakened to life's multitudinous possibilities. I look at my my trash can. It's emptiness one day early and so full of possibility. I hardly know where to start. Thursday. At school, Zuzu is learning about drugs. She shows me the list of euphemisms she has to memorize for the test. Beside cocaine, it says, devil's dandruff. Why would you have to know this, I ask. If you're at a party, she says, someone can offer you something that you don't know is a drug and you can end up accepting it. Devil's dandruff you might think is a pastry? I, of course, can afford to be cavalier. I haven't been to a party in ages. And when I am at one, people don't even offer me dip. As Zuzu studies, I find myself imagining what kind of Danish devil's, devil's dandruff would be. "'something covered in coconut shavings and cherry sauce. "'Now that would be a party.' "'Friday.' "'The night before, I went to bed thinking about pastries, "'and perhaps as a result I dreamt about honey cake, "'eating it on a paper plate in the basement of my childhood synagogue after services. "'As far as dreams go, it wasn't really a bad one, "'better than being chased by tigers through the halls of my old high school without pants.' In the morning, I realize it's been over a decade since I've actually eaten honey cake. That's how life goes. One morning you wake up, and it's been 15 years since you've had a slice of honey cake. Did you like honey as a kid? I ask Hetty in the kitchen. Yeah, she says. But with all the fuss people made about it, I always thought it was lacking somehow, that it should have been better. I guess it's hard to live up to an expression like, ''As sweet as honey.'' I feel that way about a lot of things. Often when I'm eating an orange, if I actually think about it, I find myself feeling like it isn't orangey enough. Maybe if you could forget the name of something, there would be less expectation. You could experience it for what it is, without comparing it, tearing it to anything. You could eat honey as the first people ever did. A brave people, who are not put off by its odd texture and unlikely origin. Mm-hmm. Hello,
2: John. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you fine. It's Howard. Yes, I know it's Howard. I, where are you calling from?
2: I'm in the country, but I'm on my cell phone. I wasn't sure if there'd be a good reception.
0: Uh, uh-huh. no, you're coming in. You're coming in clear. I
2: told you I got a cell phone, eh?
0: I I know about the cell phone. Yeah. W- what are you doing in the country?
2: Well, i I'll, I'll tell you in a sec. I just want to tell you that you know what. Uh, I know I've caught you so much grief
0: what, what, in my what, life, John. What are you talking about? Ah,
2: uh, you know, I'm always calling you up with some scheme. I got some new job, all my crazy shenanigans.
0: No, no, that's not true, Howard. Anyway,
2: well. I, I just want to let you know that, I, that I, I've taken charge of my life, and, I, and everything's okay now.
0: What, what are you talking about?
2: I, I've decided to, to, to be a beekeeper. I'm taking care of bees. i got a family of bees, little children that I'm taking care of, and it's just beautiful.
0: Wow, that's. Uh, can you hear it? I I I certainly can, and I mean you you may not believe this, but I mean I know you know normally you call me up on the telephone and you tell me about your new scheme, and I I I'm, I'm always a little uh, skeptical, but yeah, I, I got I got to tell you, I mean this sounds great. I don't know if you know this about me, but I've always had a secret wish, you know, to be a beekeeper.
2: Is that so? Yeah, yeah, that that is true. But you're not going to do that. Do that now, right? Because I'm I'm a beekeeper now.
0: Uh, well. Well,
2: you know, I don't I, really need competition, you know. like it's, it's,
0: it's not, I mean, it's not a competitive sport, beekeeping. I,
2: like, do you even, do you know, like, do you know what, like, what's called, like, where the bees are kept? An apiary. It's called an apiary. Yeah, you know, because I was feeling so peaceful before, and now I'm, I'm feeling all kind of anxious and competitive.
0: You know what? I'm really sorry that I even, uh, that I mentioned anything. But
2: that's okay. I'll just let the bees calm me down to the peacefulness of it. You need... Uh-huh. It's stung every so often. That's okay, though.
0: Are you really getting stung?
2: But I'm okay. I, I, Can I
0: ask you a question? And and how long have you been beekeeping?
2: Oh, about, about a day and a half now. A good day and a half, two days. I I, I bought the whole kit for about twenty five bucks and. Uh, who
0: who did you get this from?
2: Uh, basically, Nick, the delivery guy, was doing this as a sideline. And he's just very busy, you know. Delivery service is quite demanding. But, but
0: Howard, I, I know, you know, from what little research I did into beekeeping, that it could be very costly. I mean, even just getting yourself a queen bee could could be very expensive.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, he he didn't have a queen. Uh, it's mostly for mating and stuff. I'm trying to have a a more clean kind of hive. I don't want a whore hive. She'd be all snooty anyway. Oh, the queen bee, you know, no, something you need- she's better than me better than the other bees. Uh,
0: uh, you I mean you're not going to be able to produce honey unless there's a queen bee. I mean that's just a fact of nature.
2: Yeah, you know? You know, I've got that whole queen bee thing covered anyway.
0: Well, what do you mean you've got that covered?
2: I basically found a dead field mouse and I shoved it full of peanuts and honey and everything seems to be fine. Can you hang on a second? Yeah. Stripey Stripey be good. Don't leave leave Coco alone.
0: You are talking to the bees, right?
2: Yeah, by your name Of course. I got Bumble, mm. Dingy, uh, Stripey there.
0: H- and how, I don't even know why I'm asking this, but how can you tell them apart?
2: Well, I just named them by how they look. Coco is more Coco-colored. It's fuzzy. He's the fuzziest. Jennifer.
0: Why, why Jennifer?
2: She looks like a Jennifer. Mm. They're nice. They're
0: good bees. Your $20 kit didn't include a veil and gloves and stuff to oh, wear? Yeah,
2: it was all there. I just, I, I opted out. I really want to be at one with the bees, you know, just to... a <laughs> oh, I fell I fell the beach. Oh. oh he stuck me in the neck, inside, I, in my esophagus, I think. Oh, Howard, that doesn't sound oh, good. Sound good. The, the neighbor's gesturing to me. Yes, sir? Okay. Mm. That's very rude. He told me I'm all swollen. He's basically calling me fat. I know I'm a little out of shape here. I've been sitting here eating honey for a day and a half.
0: Wait, you have you've already started producing honey?
2: No, not successfully yet. That'll eventually happen. Uh-huh. Basically, it's being around these bees has really put me in the mood for honey. So I bought a whole bunch of honey. I uh-huh. uh, just eating a lot of honey, and I've been feeding the bees honey. They seem to like it, kind of gorging themselves on it. Actually, I've been also trying to work on the maybe as a sideline to have uh-huh. a bee beard. I thought maybe I've been kind of smearing myself with honey.
0: That, that could be dangerous.
2: I know, but I, I'm working on it slowly. I'm starting off just a little bit on my chin. I'm trying to go for, a, like, a little bee goatee. Maybe then I'll work into, like, maybe a, a bee Van Dyke.
0: Because you, you want to take this slow, right?
2: Yeah, then I'll work my way up to the bee beard.
0: And what's your plan? I mean, are you, you're going to go into the honey business?
2: Eventually, honey will be part of this whole operation here. But, you know, I don't have the patience or the desire to sit there and start taking the honey and getting the cheesecloth and you know. I, all this business, I'm just going to take the whole mess, you know, the honey and the parts of the hive and bits of leg, that kind of thing, a bit of a wing, whatever bees don't have the common sense to get out of there, and I'm just going to push it all through some kind of blender or grinder or something.
0: But how, how would that, sound, that, sounds, that, sounds, that sounds awful. I mean, it, it sounds dis- disgusting, and, 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 and no one wants to eat bees.
2: Bears eat bees. When a bear goes into the woods and he puts his head in the hive and he grabs all the honey and bits of the honeycomb, he's licking off his face and he's rubbing his tummy in the bees. Well, a bee, a,
0: that's because, I mean, a bear's a bear's a bear. I mean, it's an animal. It's a
2: mammal. We're mammals. Some people, when they buy their orange juice, they want extra pulp. You know, it's not for everybody. Not everybody likes the extra pulp. But this is for those who really have a sense of, you know, the entire protest
0: okay alright Howard uh, honestly I mean this just seems like Howard how many times have you been stung
2: I'd say about every 20 to 40 seconds has been steady
0: I mean do you even know if you're allergic to bees
2: I just think I need some air
0: Howard you're outside
2: my mouth is so dry waiter can I have a glass of ice water please Howard, who are you talking to? I don't know what you're saying. If you can just get some of these beads off me. No, Stripey, I don't want to make a beard now. I'm just going kind to of lie down
0: for a bit. Howard, you don't sound good.
2: You know, you're just trying to undermine me again.
0: How am I trying to undermine
2: not- me? You don't have your Whoa. business yet. Okay, Howard. You don't spin the world on me. Why is everything spinning? You're trying to undermine me. Mm-hmm. Stingy, even Stingy stung me.
0: Uh-oh. Howard, can you just tell me where you are so I can come down there?
2: I don't tell you anything. You, are staring for my bees? Ha-
0: I don't want my bees. Howard. I don't want your bees. you run, fly, bubbly. bubbly Howard, tell stingy. me where you are. I'm gonna come down there. Never. I'll help you. There
2: he Backstabbing bees. Ow.
0: Howard? 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 Saturday. I'm in New York, and the hotel I'm staying at has a scale in the bathroom called the health meter When the healthometer meter goes full circle, after it reaches 280 pounds, it still offers little numbers for the second lap around. So what this means is that beside the 10, 20, 30, and onward, in finer print, right beside those numbers, it offers other numbers, 280, 290, and so on. Now what I like about this is that if you weigh 280 you don't have to feel like the heaviest man the health meter team wants to serve. You can look at those numbers that come afterwards and think I may be heavy but there are some really heavy guys out there and for this reason I feel like scale should go all the way into the thousands because why not? To some extent, life is all about looking for whatever you can to make you feel like you're not the last stop, you're not the heaviest, you're not the worst, that there's always some guy out there. And this might account, to some extent, for the popularity of reality television. Sunday. My time's become so tight that I've begun renting only foreign films. And the reason I do this is because I can fast-forward them while speed-reading the subtitles. Employing this technique turns Austrian director Michael Haneke's The Seventh Continent, perhaps one of the most depressing films ever made, into a Keystone Cop short. As I'm feeling emotionally vulnerable, this strikes me as an especially good way to watch the movie. I even consider putting on a Ramon CD, but decide that might be going a bit too far. Monday. Hetty is reading a turn-of-the-century children's book called Phantasmaland, And in this book, as a show of politeness, when people are introduced, they doff their heads. In hearing Hetty explain it to me, I start to think about how arbitrary most of our salutations actually are. I mean, really, what shaking hands, or the touching of lips? In Phantasma Land, staring into a person's exposed neck hole is probably a form of greater intimacy. For the rest of the day, I find myself thinking about how nice it would be to just be able to put your head on a shelf every once in a while and go out dancing. Tuesday. I'm in Vancouver talking to Shane Nelken, lead singer of The Awkward Stage. As well as being a musician, Shane is also a cremationist. And so, of course, after several drinks, the conversation turns to cremation. He describes the machine that is used to pulverize bones once the body's been through the fire, and he says there are often surprises. Some frail old ladies sometimes have the most invincible bones, he says. I decide to take this as a metaphor for something positive, a testament to finding strength in unexpected places, or something. It's been such a melancholic, rainy day, and I'm slightly drunk and willing to take whatever bit of enlightenment I can get. Thursday I bring Zuzu home home an etch-a-sketch keychain she tries it out then turns it upside down and shakes it it doesn't erase she looks at me as though to say why must we always perform this dance of disappointment I tell her that I got her an etch-a-sketch like this one this special etch-a-sketch to encourage her in coming to accept the permanence of her decisions you cannot turn life over and shake it clean I say in truth, the toy is certainly defective, which accounts for why it was probably left behind on the backseat of a taxi in the first place. Did you bring me home any chocolate? asked Zuzu, chucking the toy aside. And lucky for me, I did. Wiretap today, you heard Howard Chakowitz and Philippe Petit, who is author of the book *To Reach the Clouds: My Highwire Walk Between the Twin Towers*. Wiretap is produced by Mira bertlmann Carolyn Warren, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Production help from Crystal Duham. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at one for Pacific time and Wednesday evening at 11:30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America. On Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca/slash wiretap.
1: Bonnie, I hope you don't mind my telling you, but good you don't look.
0: <laughs> and good I don't feel.
1: Well, if you want to feel good like me, you'll take up a abbey and relax. A abby? You got the hobby? Sure, I got a hobby. I collect bees. How do you collect bees? It's easy. I go out every day and I buy 500 bees. I get a gallon glass jar. I stuff the jar with the 500 bees. I close up the top of the jar. Then I put the jar on top of my desk. And I sit and look at the bees. And that's my hobby. That's your hobby? You buy five
2: other bees, you put them in a glass jar, you close up the top? What do you do? You, you, you punch holes in the top so the bees can
0: get air to breathe?
1: No. I don't punch holes in the top.
2: Are you crazy? If you don't punch holes in the top, the bees will die.
1: Shall let him die? It's only a bee.